All right. Well, we are, like Dave said, we're in week two of our Christmas Advent series. Uh, every year we do something just a little bit different around Christmas time, try to help us focus in on Christmas Eve and be ready for that. And last week, uh, we, we had our first week, uh, we looked at Herod and how not to respond, uh, how our response to Jesus, the coming, uh, Messiah, should have or should should look uh, and then also the response to Jesus in our life after we place our faith in him uh, and so we're kind of taking a pause from our sermon series in Proverbs uh, to focus in on Jesus Christ over these last couple of weeks and so um, today we are going to look at Simeon and Anna and uh, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to those in case you have a little notes to take or, or things that stick out to you. You can mark them right in there. We will have the words up here on the screen, though, also. And we're going to look at their response to Jesus coming. Uh, and they couldn't be more different than the one we saw last week with Herod. So let's accept this call that we put out last week to bow to the king as we see the response of, of Simeon and Anna today to the birth of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we haven't gotten to Simeon and Anna yet, but we're going to pause just real quick here. Look at these first few verses before we start looking at the two um, characters this week. We do see a reoccurring theme, though, in these first few verses. If you have your Bible open and you're looking down there, verses uh, in, in starting in verse 21, we see this idea of Mary and Joseph um, being obedient to the Lord. We see it through all the different laws and the customs that are being uh, referred to in these verses. Mary and Joseph had their baby circumcised and named him Jesus as commanded them by the angel earlier on. But they obeyed and they did that. They waited until their purification. Uh, there was a purification period after you had a child. Mary and, and Jesus were ceremonially unclean after having the baby or the baby being born and circumcised. And so they had to wait until that period was over before they went to the temple. Uh, and they would go to Jerusalem at the end of that 40-day period. And, and so again, another law of Moses... They knew that and they were willing to obey that uh, because they loved the Lord. According to the law of the Lord, verse 22, each firstborn is presented to the Lord. So the parents would go to the temple and they would present their son uh, as a, a servant of God. Now, that could mean different things and it could look different ways. But basically, it's kind of like what we do with a baby dedication, the parents are committing to train their child 
in the Lord. Then at the end of these verses here, we see that they offered a blood sacrifice to God. Uh, and here we see that the author Luke notes that it was a pair of turtle doves or pigeons were acceptable replacements for a lamb that was called for in the Old Testament, in the law, but for a poor family that would just not be uh, something that they were able to do. Uh, a lamb would be expensive, and, and most of them couldn't afford it. And so even these turtle doves or pigeons were a costly sacrifice for them. But again, it's something that God required through his people, or from his people, through the law. So it's really fitting that we see this special example here as we've paused our Proverbs series on wisdom and godliness. We see that even in the story we're looking at over the last couple of weeks. Jesus' birth. What do Mary and Joseph do? Right? And here we see that they are setting an example of following the Lord's will. A couple weeks ago, we looked at, at marriage matters, and we looked at parenting a couple weeks, uh, or a week after that, so a couple weeks ago, and, and that those things matter to God. And here, Mary and Joseph are giving us an example. They were giving uh, their family, their friends, anybody that knew them, the example that God mattered, and, and making sure that they took care of what was required from the law mattered. There's a lot of wisdom there, and, and we need to be teaching that wisdom in our home. And, and what, what, what we see here is an example of them putting the Lord first no matter what the cost, no matter what was called for. And that's an example that we can leave for our kids, that we can show them and that they can absorb through seeing it happen. And so even though we're in a break from Proverbs, we see some of the things we've already been learning and things that we'll be learning over the next few weeks after Christmas as we finish up that sermon series. But that that placing the Lord in the proper place in our marriage, in our relationships, in our families is extremely important. Mary and Joseph were quick to obey the Lord. And make him their first priority. I love this. I love how Proverbs here, we're seeing that, the application of it here in Luke. But let's continue on with our story. Uh, in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose, na- whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. We're going to pause there just for a second. And we're going to look again at repetition. In the first few verses, we saw the repetition of Mary and Joseph's obedience, right? And here we're seeing another set of repetition written down by Luke, the author, and and it points to the idea of this was a man being led by the Holy Spirit. So we highlighted up there, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit, and and, and, and that this man, Simeon, lived a life, right, where his his expectation was to see the Lord's will happen. He had a proper expectation here. Simeon's whole life was centered around God, and he was righteous, it says. He was devout. He was constantly waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
How appropriate is it then here that we see that the Holy Spirit, who is the great counselor, who is the great comforter, was upon this man waiting for the promised consolation. Now, the consolation of Israel was the promise of a coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what the people of Israel were waiting for. Now, they didn't quite understand what Jesus uh, was going to be or what the Messiah, I should say, was going to be. They had their own ideas, and Jesus spent his earthly ministry challenging those ideas that he had come as the Messiah, uh, but that it wasn't an earthly kingdom at that moment that he was going to be setting up. So again, their ideas may have been off, but all of Israel awaited a Messiah, a Savior. And, and Simeon was no different. He was waiting for the Messiah, and he had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw that. And so... Um, Simeon listened to the Holy Spirit. He was devout, he was righteous, and his direction in life, his direction for hope, it led him to this place where he was going to have this powerful experience. He was told by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple, that's where we paused really quick, just to focus in on this man and, and his, his devotion to God and his willingness to be led which is an example for all of us, he was told to go to the temple that day. So let's pick back up then in the, in the story here. And, and it says, when the parents brought in the child Jesus, Mary and Joseph, to do for him according to the custom of the law. Again, the obedience that we talked about. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, so let's pause there just for a brief second. We have Mary and Joseph obeying the law showing that their view of God and what he asked and required of them was important to them. And we see this man, Simeon, who believed the Holy Spirit, that he would see the coming Messiah, and we see them all at the temple today, right? So this is getting exciting. Um, this guy is ready for what God is going to do, and we have uh, this family, Mary and Joseph and their baby, willing to do what God has asked them to say or to do. And this is what we see Simeon say. Okay? So Simeon now sees Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus come into the temple. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon's words here show his heart, show where he was at as a person. Simeon had received a promise from God through the Holy Spirit, that he would see the Messiah, the one who would save Israel before he died. Since Simeon's whole life centered around God's consolation or salvation of Israel, to know it was coming in the next generation meant peace for this older man, right? He had reached the end of his life and, and he sees this fulfillment, he could now die in peace. That's what he says there. I'm ready to depart. I've seen the salvation of Israel. He gets to see with his own eyes what God had promised. 
God's salvation came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now here, it also says a light for revelation. Again, we got to look at all these words and, and, and really pick them apart. And what is, what is Simeon trying to say? What is he telling us through what he spoke over this child? And, and what we see here is a term, revelation, apocalypsis, which we just studied revelation. And, and the book of Revelation had that word throughout it, right? It's a disclosure of truth. And that's what John wrote the book of Revelation for. So that you would know what is coming. I'm going to reveal these things to you. Right? Well, that's the same word being used here in, in what Simeon had to say. The disclosure of truth about Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. And here's the prophecy bit. God's revelation and salvation was coming for all people. And that's good news for you guys and for me, right? It came even to the Gentiles. Again, a prophetic word here. So much of Israel would have been focused in only on themselves. God, come and save us from all of the external pressures and powers. At this time, the Roman government, the heavy thumb pressing them down. And yet salvation came not only for Israel looking a little different than they had hoped or thought, but it also came for the Gentiles. Now, this was a huge thing to prophesy, to see this sort of thing, because it wasn't part of the status quo for what the the, the children of Israel were hoping for, were dreaming about, this Messiah to come and save them. But this was a Messiah that would come and save them, Israel, but also Gentiles. And this was an amazing moment for Simeon to see Jesus, to know what he had been promised was taking place right in front of him. Um, uh, One of our fellow grace workers from the other campus, Brian Beers, sent us this piece of art depicting this moment. Okay, this is Simeon's moment. We thought, you know what, that's a pretty cool picture. Let's use that this week. The artist Ron DeCiani, I think is how he, DeCiani, he captured this moment as as he drew this. And he said this, imagine that moment to hold the very son of God in your arms with the understanding of his purpose for coming, to realize that the Messiah had come. He held the light of the world, which I symbolized by the star emanating from the baby. God knew all along that you and I would need a savior. Simeon's tear was put in to reflect deep joy. Also, that this baby was born to be crucified. That was why he came. That's what the artist there had to say about this moment that we're trying to, you know, encapsulate in these verses and and to look at and and to picture. And Simeon saw the salvation God had promised. Now, picking up in, in verse 33, it says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that th- thoughts 
from many hearts will be revealed. Mary and, and Joseph continue to listen to Simeon here in these verses, what's being said about their child. Right, And they, they have a pattern of this. Again, we're looking at repetition. We're looking at patterns. And we know that they had listened to the angel. Both of them had angels who visited them. They, uh, Mary listened to Elizabeth. Uh, we know all of these things from the other gospel accounts. Zechariah, Simeon. And, and in just a moment, we're going to see uh, this, this prophetess, Anna. Right, and, and they're listening to what is being said about their child. Some of the stuff is confusing and, and a lot of it is powerful and, and promising. But all of these things are being said about their son. And, and what's their reaction in verse 33? They marvel at what is being said by Simeon, right? They marvel at this. They admire it. They wonder at the statements being made. They're in a, a state of awe, but mixed with admiration, I think it's likely even a, a, a state of worship. I love what Vanessa said about worship and worship even through the Christmas carols, or I would say especially through the Christmas carols. These are songs about the coming promised Messiah, right? And, there, and, and I know we like to, to sing them uh, while we're walking around the neighborhoods caroling, and it seems like, how can that be worship? And yet it is, if you think about the words. And here the parents see and hear, and I think worship because of Jesus, the Messiah. This is an, a natural reaction when Jesus is revealed. And I would say even for us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our salvation, our hope, that when we truly see him for who he is, it should inspire wonder and awe and worship. Simeon blesses them all and then speaks to Mary. He essentially says, I have good news and I have bad news, right? The good news is Jesus is the most important man in history. He is the coming Messiah. He is the God man, 100% God, 100% man. He is what we've been waiting for. And what's more, many will rise and fall based on his ministry, his life, his sacrifice. That is good news. And then he goes to the bad news and, and that Jesus being here, Jesus being your son, doesn't equate to an easy life for him or for you. He's going to be a lightning rod. He's going to face severe opposition from the religious leaders of that day, from people who chose not to follow him or what he was calling them to do. It was a radical change. In that opposition, Jesus was going to reveal the thoughts, the, the motives of many hearts. And it would often get ugly. I mean, there's no other word for it. Because there's no fence straddling with the Messiah. His work was divisive. His words were divisive. He was calling people to change their thoughts on what a relationship with God looked like. He came to make right a path between God and man. But it would also come to a personal cost to Mary as his earthly mother. The parenthetical prophecy to Mary is a, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is no ordinary child and, and he's not going to live an ordinary life. 
When you consider the life of Jesus lived and and the mission that he had, you can imagine that there were many times that Mary's heart was in anguish. Not just at the cross, but think about throughout the the Gospels as we read stories and the the different things that happened. He had no place to lay his head. He he often didn't have the food that he needed. He relied on other people. Uh, He was was, um, uh, often challenged by the religious authorities. And, And there were times even that the disciples were scared for his life. Because of what was going on. A mom, that's not easy to know that your child is going through that. So there was anguish in her life because of Jesus before the cross. And that's what Simeon is talking about here. How do we respond to Jesus today continues to reveal the heart of the matter. We see here Mary's and Joseph's and Simeon's heart. Their expectation, their belief in the promise. Let's continue on here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. Let's just pause really quick there. Here we have a new uh, character being introduced. We have prophecy coming from Simeon. We now see a prophetess who's going to prophesy also. And remember, we are coming out of a period of about 400 years to 450 years where God has been silent. He has not been speaking to the children of Israel. At the end of Malachi, we see God say, I'm done for a season. And that season was over 400 years. And the children of Israel were waiting. They were longing. There was an anticipation, but God was silent. Some of them were waiting correctly and were ready for what was coming. Others were not. But here we see Anna, a prophetess, right? And we know that we're coming out of this, this time, this bad time where God was silent. They were desperate to hear from their God. Now, since Jesus was conceived, we've seen angels uh, visiting people, Mary singing an inspired song, um, Zacharias prophesying, Simeon's prophesying, and now this woman, Anna. So Jesus' arrival is turning things around on this earth, right? It's been quiet. It's been silent. They've been moving forward. They haven't heard from God. And now Jesus comes to earth and things start changing. And this is exciting because we know that Jesus did turn the world upside down by coming to live here. Let's continue on with this story. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now look at this woman. Let's do the math here. She was likely 13 or 14 years old when she got married. That was the custom in that day and age. Talks about that. And it looks like she was married and she lived with her husband for only seven years. And then he passed away. Okay? And, and, and so she was a widow until she was 84. In fact, some commentaries that we read this week believe the text actually meant that she was a widow for 84 years. So if you do the math that way, that would have made her 
104 or 105 years old at this time, right? So we're talking about somewhere between 60 and 81 years of not departing, Luke writes, from the temple, worshiping with fasting and and prayer night and day. She gave us an example of what it looked like to devote your life to the Lord, A widow in this time period with no children to speak for would have little hope in this society. And where did Anna put her hope? In the Lord. She dedicated her life to the Lord, right? Her best bet would have been to remarry, right? But what does Luke point out? She didn't. She trusted God. She served at the temple. This is cool because she becomes this prophetess ready to give word about the coming Messiah. Just because she had an empty home doesn't mean she lived an empty life. Anna decided that it would be best to serve the Lord with all of her time. She, she didn't have a husband at home to take care of any longer. So she dedicated her life to the Lord and his work. Now it's no wonder that God spoke through her. She was a prophetess. She, she was there at the temple speaking with God constantly. She lived for his presence. She lived for his person. She lived for the promise. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, right, we often see a focus on two witnesses. And I wonder if Luke had this in mind when he wrote this, right? So we see Anna confirming what Simeon had also said, what he had also prophesied. And that that is that Jesus is the Christ. She came that very hour, Luke writes, and found that Jesus, the Messiah, had come to earth. And she gives thanks And then she tells everyone who would listen, right? This remnant of people that were waiting for the coming Messiah. And she she goes out and she tells them, Anna's life is changed forever by Jesus. And the only appropriate response, she goes out on a mission immediately. I'm going to tell everybody what I have seen. Exactly what we've been called to do. She can't stop talking about him. Uh, we saw another picture here. It gives us a hint of what it may have looked like that day. We see Simeon and Anna and then Mary and Joseph looking on and on wonder and the baby Jesus. They both had a proper expectation. They expected that the Lord would come through with his promises to Israel and to them personally. And it resulted in a proper response. So today, ask yourself, what is your expectation? Not only in light of Christmas week and and what we'll be celebrating all week long and then on Christmas Eve and, and Christmas Day with your friends and your family. But what is your expectation of what your life should look like now? No matter where God has called you to work what job you have, what age, what stage of life you're in, how many kids you have, whether you're married or not. What is your expectation of the life that that God has called you to live? And what is your response? Think about those things over the next few days, especially this week. Let's look at how this story ends. 
And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Mary and Joseph are careful to follow the law. We talked about this earlier, the the beginning of this passage. They followed the law completely, and then then they returned to their home. There was reverence and obedience in their worship. The way we live our lives can be worship. It is worship, and we need to realize that, and it needs to reflect that, our beliefs. They did it in such a way that it would bring honor and glory to God. It says here that Jesus grew and and matured. He was strong and wise with the favor of God. And we know from other scriptures, the favor of God and man. He was a well-respected young man. And he was and is worthy of worship. And so as we look at this this, this passage this week, and we ponder this over these next few days, be thinking about a proper expectation equaling a proper response. Simeon and Anna knew the scriptures, and they didn't give up on God's promises. God promised, and they held tight to those promises, right? Simeon and Anna lived in an attentive expectancy, God has promised this. I believe it's going to happen. And so I'm going to wait for it. Do you live your life that way? Do you know the promises of God? Do you spend time in God's word? Reading and, and, and absorbing what he has promised. And live in that expectancy. Do you listen to what God has to say in his word? So that you know the promises. But is there an active listening? Are you listening and hearing the promises of God and then living a life that reflects that? That's what Simeon and Anna were doing. They were grounded in the Old Testament, in their scripture. Now we have the New Testament. We have the words and the life of Jesus, the letters of Paul, all the, all the stuff that we need to live our life. Are we listening with that same active listening to hear it, absorb it, and then live it out? They were in step with the Holy Spirit. They listened to what God had to say to them. They believed it. And then they were changed by it. Their response reflected it. It's beautiful. I've heard it said, and I agree, that worship is essentially paying attention to God. Do you view worship that way? Paying attention to God, to those words that we're going to sing and that we sing throughout the week. Maybe we hear on the radio the things that we, we do to worship God. Do we believe truly that that causes us uh, to, to focus in on God and have a proper attention on him? We attend, we, we bring ourselves into God's presence. We set our face towards him. And again, this isn't just on Sunday morning. This is throughout the week when we worship him. We speak and we sing directly to our God. Not thoughtlessly to the air. Do you realize that when you're singing, it says in the scriptures that God inhabits the praise of his people. He hears you. And for somebody like me that doesn't have a a good voice, right? You know, I'm like, okay, sorry, Lord. You know my heart. You're not listening to my tune, right? You know, but I'm going to sing because I truly believe that God is there and he is listening to you. 
do you concentrate on him or are you distracted? And hey, I'm a father of four and I remember when my kids were little and I remember distraction. But there is worship in that chaos. I truly believe that. You can focus in on him, concentrate on him, even with the chaos that might be around you and at your feet. During worship, do you listen? We need to listen. We need to listen to the words that we are singing and those around us are singing. We need to be attentive to those, absorb them and allow them to move us forward. Those promises, those truths. That's why it's so important when when Vanessa's looking at worship songs, she wants to tear that thing apart and say, does this point people towards God? Or does this just sound good? Right? We want to move you guys as a church body towards God in a relationship with him. And then we need to wait. When we worship God, we need to sing. We need to think about God. We need to focus on him. And then we need to slow down our busy lives. I'd encourage each one of you, and it may, if you have young kids, it may be late or it may have to be early. Once the distractions have settled from the day, to, to spend some time waiting, and it doesn't have to be a long time, but just come before the Lord and say, hey, for the next five minutes, for the next three minutes, for some of us who have a hard time focusing, right? I'm going to be quiet and I'm just going to listen. Help me to hear from you. And become and have that become a process for you. Something you do daily or every couple of days. And I'm telling you, you will hear from God. Simeon and Anna were paying attention. They were listening. They were expectant. When we are face to face with someone, paying careful attention to them, we are able to really listen. Don't you love those friends that when you talk to, you know they're hearing you? Right? And aren't you frustrated with those friends you love a lot, but sometimes you're talking to them and you know they didn't hear words you said. Well, that's the same here. We need to listen to God. We need to focus in on God. The Holy Spirit was revealing things to Simeon and Anna and they paid attention. And my prayer this morning is that we all will pay attention and that we'll have a proper expectation and that our response will glorify God. If you can, if you're able, stand with us as we worship and have a blessed week.